Welcome to The Bone Beat, conversations on health policy issues affecting musculoskeletal care and supporting advocacy efforts to advance access and quality. Brought to you by the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. Here's your host, Kristen Coltis. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the February monthly episode of The Bone Beat. We are just over a month into the 117th Congress and new Biden administration after both a divisive election and challenging start to the year. Party politics are at an all-time high and public sentiment around Washington and the ability for lawmakers to get things done uh, in a tied Senate is fairly low. So in this episode, we're going to address some of the concerns and questions for what this means for the orthopedic community. But first, I want to acknowledge the Pfizer Lilly Alliance, which has helped to make the podcast possible. And without further ado, our guest for this topic is someone who spends her time on the other side of an interview covering Congress and can help separate fact from fiction when it comes to partisan politics and public health. Erin Durkin is a healthcare correspondent for the National Journal. Welcome, Erin. Hi, happy to be here. And you have previously covered food, drug, device regulation and done some work analyzing Medicare Advantage data, right? Yes. Uh, before I began uh, this job, which is uh, a little bit more focused on the politics and policy side, I was deep in the weeds on <laughs> FDA policy in particular. That's great. Those are all areas that impact our members. So uh, we're privileged you are here. Um, why don't we Why don't we get right into it, Erin, by talking about the political climate in Washington post transition? Um, you know, what's the energy like on Capitol Hill with regard to uh, getting things done on the healthcare front? I mean, obviously, I'm sure all of you have seen that the uh, environment generally is very polarized, and that's obviously going to impact uh, really everything, including um, health policy. Uh, on top of that, you have also seen some key retirements that I wanted to make sure I mentioned, um, you know, including Senator Lamar Alexander, who was really impactful in the health policy space. Uh, you know, I think his leaving the Senate during this time period can't be understated because he really would reach across the aisle with Senator Patty Murray to get you know, things done. So we're entering this new Congress without some big voices in there um, during this really a polarized time. And of course, uh, you know, they're trying to uh, figure out uh, more policy and resources to combat the COVID-19 pandemic. But even that looks like that uh, could be passed along party lines if they can't come to an agreement. And and I know you did a piece on on some of the status of those key committees and some of the Biden administration nominees recently. Can you briefly uh, walk through why those positions are being held up and why that delay is particularly challenging as this administration continues to respond to the pandemic, like you mentioned. As you noted, uh, I did write about this a few weeks ago, and it seems uh, we haven't moved that far forward. Uh, Biden, of course, was quick to name uh, some of his choices for uh, key positions, including Xavier Becerra, the Attorney General of California, to be HHS Secretary. Other positions we're still waiting for him to name, like CMS and FDA, um, and we're still waiting to hear for those nominees. Uh, but the Senate doesn't seem to be in a hurry to get these nominees. Uh, 
years uh, through the process. And of course, now they're busy with the second impeachment of former President Donald Trump. Uh, Now, experts did point out uh, with COVID response in particular, Biden did bring a team of experts into the White House, and they're making a lot of operational decisions from there. So the response in that sense may not be hindered, but it's all the other things that HHS is in charge of that could end up being sidelined or delayed. I'm thinking of CMS in particular, where you have the Innovation Center and value-based payment initiatives, and of course, all these waivers that uh, the Trump team had allowed, especially in the Medicaid program. You know, any pro- progress on this, uh, you know, on these issues could be impacted by the fact that you don't have someone up top, you know, some uh, confirmed leadership in position. Going back to uh, the point you made, Aaron, on the, the committee structure and how that is continuing to unfold, can you talk about what key committees are yet to be determined and how the leadership of those may impact uh, some of the priorities that get through the 117th? So in the Senate, we had to wait for uh, leaders on both sides of the aisle to agree to an organizing resolution um, because the Senate is an even 50-50 split uh, right now. Um, And this allowed Democrats uh, last week to take over the committees uh, formally. So you have uh, Senator Patty Murray at the head of uh, the Health Committee, and you have Senator Ron Wyden at the head of the uh, Finance Committee. I will know, you know, I, I was checking in on this yesterday. The Finance Committee still doesn't have a date yet for uh, the HHS Secretary confirmation, um, and, and no reason was really given for it. In the House side, of course, with the retirement of Representative uh, Greg Walden, that opened up the top spot for the uh, GOP and the influential ENC Committee. Uh, Representative Kathy McMorris-Rogers beat out Representative Michael Burgess, who has a medical background for that top spot. Um, and so, you know, I think that's going to be uh, just interesting to see how these uh, different leaderships uh, play out. And as I, I noted earlier, you know, with um, the retirement of uh, Senator Lamar Alexander, you know, you're really uh, losing a big negotiator there on the health committee. And Representative Burgess was a a key partner with the AOS, given that he is one of the few physician members. So let's move right right on to the healthcare policy agenda then, um, because this is where we want to spend a lot of time today in this interview and and really picking your brain on um, the status of these these agenda items, starting with the pandemic. Um, How is the uh, this administration's approach and the approach of the 117th Congress? shaping up to be different than the Trump administration. And specifically, I'm wondering if you can talk about the issuance of safety guidelines, you know, state versus federal, and providing some of the resources for healthcare professionals like our members. So one of the biggest uh, differences we're seeing so far, as I was mentioning earlier, you know, Biden really brought in experts into the White House and they're making a lot of operational decisions. It seems like one of the biggest shifts they're trying to make is, you know, having decisions from the top down. Um, I'm sure as uh, you and your members know, there are a lot of things that have been coming from the state uh, that the Trump administration had kind of put on the state's shoulders to decide. Um, And so, you know, I think that's kind of the really broadest um, and biggest shift 
uh, that we're seeing right now. Um, at least in that attempt, obviously people are still waiting. You know, there's a lot of decisions that are, uh, being made right now. So I think a lot of people are hoping and waiting for more, uh, federal, uh, response or federal oversight on these things. Um, in terms of, uh, provider relief, you know, this is something I was very recently, um, you know, checking up on was, uh, provider relief funds. And notably, uh, Biden's American Rescue Plan did not call for, uh, a beefed up, uh, provider relief fund. Um, however, I will note that, uh, the budget resolution that passed last week included an amendment from Senator Collins that will allow uh, more support for uh, the provider relief. And I, I think this is really aimed at providers in rural areas, you know, I think is the, the goal there. So, you know, I don't want to give this impression that there might not be um, uh, more relief for providers in the next package. Generally, I just know it wasn't initially called for uh, from the very beginning. Um, but you know, this is, uh, something that I think is just still under negotiation. We're starting to see markups this week of the different, um, elements of the package. Um, and so this is something that could ultimately change as, uh, things go forward. And our, our team in Washington, our advocacy team is obviously monitoring that package. Um, our, lobbyists on the Hill are in conversations with uh, congressional offices and making sure that the needs of our members and their patients are being addressed. Um, but you opened up a perfect, uh, you, you gave me a perfect opening for my next question, an area I want to get into, and that is telehealth, when you talked about, um, you know, support for rural areas. So our members uh, and patients have really benefited from the expansion of telehealth services. Um, new flexibilities, coding regulations, reimbursement, all of that was paramount to their ability to offer care during the pandemic. So what are you hearing maybe next for the Biden administration? Uh, you know, might he see the continuation of telehealth as a way to improve access and health equity beyond the public health emergency? Well, this has been such a fascinating situation because, as you point out, uh, this has really expanded during the public health emergency, and it seemed to expand pretty fast, in my, in my opinion. Um, and so, uh, so many you know types of providers really benefited. Uh, from this expansion. Um, you know, where things go next, I mean, obviously in December, uh, CMS moved to kind of keep some of these flexibilities in place. Uh, I think just a few on a permanent basis. Others, I think, are extended uh, to just beyond the public health emergency. Uh, but what's going to be really interesting is I think, you know, I'm I, wanting to watch out to see if there's a push uh, to change uh, restrictions statutorily. Uh, CMS uh, said in their announcement when they were trying to make some of these uh, permanent, you know, that they didn't really have the authority to uh, make these services broader than the geographic uh, restrictions that are in place. Now, obviously, they've been functioning under a waiver during the public health emergency. But once that public health emergency ends, presumably those restrictions will go back into place. And so I'm curious to see where that conversation goes. And if that becomes also a conversation on Capitol Hill, if there does need to be a statutory change to all of this to really expand the use of telehealth beyond 
the public health emergency. And then, of course, uh, there are going to be those conversations of, you know, what's appropriate to keep beyond the public health emergency and what really needs to end with it. Um, you know, and I'm sure that's going to be heating up, especially uh, as we start to get towards hopefully the end of this emergency this year. Um, But, you know, I think that's where I can see the conversation uh, shifting to. Going back to health equity and some of those disparities in healthcare, Erin, we we discussed it briefly when talking about telehealth and how that may be um, an area where the Biden administration can make improvements. But what other ways do you see him and the 117th trying to improve disparities in healthcare? Well, certainly the pandemic uh, from the very beginning cast a giant spotlight on health disparities that frankly were there before the pandemic. Uh, Obviously, we've seen the uh, disproportionate impacts on um, people of color uh, from COVID-19. But I think this is really bringing a lot of attention to social determinants of health and inequities to access that have uh, really existed beforehand. Um, coming into office, Biden and uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, um, you know, wanted to put together a COVID nineteen health equity task force, and they announced non federal members yesterday from various health and hospital centers, groups representing children, people experiencing homelessness, you know, people living with disabilities, you know, representatives from all those kind of different areas. Um, and, but I, I think there's going to be a lot more focus and attention on this even beyond the pandemic. Pandemic. Um, you know, recently we saw lawmakers introduce uh, what was uh, kind of named the Momnibus, which is focusing on uh, maternal mortality outcomes. And so, you know, I think this is casting a big light on how this is impacting um, people of color in particular uh, throughout the entire healthcare space, you know, not just COVID 19 specifically. Absolutely. I, the pandemic definitely highlighted that. In fact, if our members are interested in learning more about uh, reducing disparities in healthcare, I'd encourage them to go check out our June episode. We did that um, with Dr. Mary O'Connor, who is chair of the Movement is Life Caucus. Another priority that we know the Biden administration wants to tackle is this increase of insurance coverage. Um, He's already taken steps in the direction through various executive orders, uh, like we mentioned earlier. But my question is more general, um, and that is how likely do you think it will be for him to sort of make these broad scope plans, but also implement them through policy? And if you could focus on on the areas of Medicare and Medicaid, those would be most helpful to our membership. Yeah, that's a very good question. I don't want to say anything is impossible. Obviously, uh, very generally, you saw even last year uh, lawmakers able to you know, cross the aisle, come to an agreement. I'm thinking of the surprise medical billing, which is, I know, a separate kind of thing. Yes. But uh, you know, I'm just I'm thinking of agreements here on on um, you know healthcare and health coverage. Um, so I don't want to say that anything's impossible, but certainly what we're seeing right now is um, it, it's probably going to be incredibly hard uh, giving the 
polarization. Um, and right now, uh, the Senate is able to get uh, you know things through as long as they fit into the reconciliation process without Republican support. Um, and certainly, we might be seeing uh, many things move that way. But that, of course, changes how much they can actually do policy-wise. Um, I do want to know on the commercial space, um, there were interesting provisions added uh, to uh, one of the bills being marked out for the reconciliation that would increase uh, premium tax credits um, and allow more people to receive subsidies to afford health care. I know that's outside of the Medicare and Medicaid space, but I did want to note that that was uh, one area that they seem to be interested in building off of. Um, but I think, you know, things more uh, substantive and, and changing the policy around could be uh, a little bit more um, of a challenge. Right. And you noted the bipartisan um, efforts there on surprise billing. Uh, that was one of the wins that our organization um, is proud of because it really did take a almost two-year effort to get legislation passed. And we were happy that that final bill included a lot of AOS principles, including a process for independent dispute resolution. Another one, uh, just speaking of bipartisan accomplishments at the end of the 116th, was that McCarran-Ferguson Act that passed, um, mm. You know, or I'm sorry, the Competitive Health Insurance Reform Act that repealed McCarran-Ferguson. Um, that, again, was huge for the, the insurance reforms that our organization is working towards. Um, but if we could dive a little deeper into Medicare, um, and sort of the deficiencies around the physician fee schedule. As, as I'm sure you know, there was a huge effort um, in a majority of last year to sort of mitigate the uh, pay cuts that were planned for 2021 from the evaluation and management changes. Um, so, you know, that was a huge bipartisan effort. It led to alleviating those devastating pay cuts to providers, but they're still set to take effect in years 2022, 2023, and 2024. So can you speak to whether or not you think Congress will continue to work in this area? What are you hearing about the physician fee schedule in particular? You know, I have to be honest, I think starting in this Congress that things have been so bogged down in COVID-19 response and um, the uh, impeachment trial that, um, you know, I personally haven't, uh, you know, I, been able to hear much from the physician fee schedule. However, you know, I will note this also gets back to what we were discussing about the importance of getting some of these key officials into place, right. um, including at CMS, because you know they they are the ones that can really raise these discussions to uh, Capitol Hill and and really be that go between. Um, and you know, I, I think there's a fear that um, you know the more delay we have, uh, the more delay there is in in these uh, discussions as well. Um, and so, you know, I think it might, uh, personally, I think it might be a, a few more weeks on before we start to see other things kind of break through uh, everything that's happening <laughs> currently. There's a lot of speculation right now. I think you're uh, really emphasizing the point that uh, that all that's going on with COVID and the impeachment trial is really delaying things. And, you know, as an organization that, 
uh, focuses on advancing musculoskeletal care. We've, we've got our agenda. We've got the items we want to tackle. Um, and really, this last question for you, Erin, is more about the overarching theme to sort of all of this and, and what the AOS is working towards, and that is value-based care. Um, you know, mm. when, when we get past these major uh, partisan hurdles and we get into more of the policymaking, do you think we'll see more or less of that transition away from fee-for-service and towards value-based care in this administration? You know, I think value-based care has been one of those interesting areas where both sides of the aisle have a lot of interest in it. And so even if right now, obviously, as we were just discussing, um, the conversation um, around it might not be taking place or as actively, <laughs> just given everything going on, um, I, I think there's a lot of interest, um, you know, in, in using the Innovation Center um, and, and discussing, uh, you know, these uh, policies further. I mean, you obviously saw this take place under the Obama administration. Um, you know, of course, the Trump administration took it their own direction. Um, and so, you know, I, I can't foresee that, you know, completely falling to the wayside, even if right now there isn't as much attention on it, uh, given just the status of everything going on. And there's a lot of aspects to value-based care that are at play, right? We, we've we talked in other episodes about bundled payments, um, making sure those mm-hmm. are voluntary, making sure that they account for risk adjustments. So there's a lot I know that we'll be looking towards and advocating for in the year 2021. Um, lastly, is there anything else that you may be monitoring in the healthcare space or hearing on Capitol Hill and among the agencies that you think would directly impact the musculoskeletal care community? I did want to know um, something we didn't get to, and this actually uh, was one of the executive orders that was on uh, high up on my radar, uh, which was, you know, Biden had um, ordered HHS to really review regulations, including waivers uh, to Medicaid um, that had been done under the Trump administration. Um, and I think that's something worth uh, watching out for is just uh, seeing what is kept and, and what ends up being undone. And I I know that's uh, kind of an active thing um, they're going through right now. And then also uh, kind of this, um, you know, I know that uh, a lot of predictions are we're not going to hear anything out of this until June, but there is still this Supreme Court case around the ACA, uh, you know, that I think, um, you know, still hanging out there can have an impact on health insurance coverage generally. And I know that's very broad, but I, I feel like that's something that uh, will be impactful to every kind of provider um, and patient depending on how they roll. Certainly. You know, the Biden healthcare agenda is quite ambitious. So it'll be really interesting to see how it unfolds, um, be it through legislative or regulatory processes. But to continue this conversation, Erin, where's the best place for our listeners to follow your coverage? Um, so I, again, uh, work for uh, National Journal. Um, my personal Twitter handle is at um, Erin Durkin, too, um, because uh, 
believe it or not, there are more than one Aaron Durkin reporters out there. Um, and so, you know, just follow our coverage on Twitter. Uh, we make a lot of our stories free, actually. Um, so there are a lot of featured stories um, on health policy. Uh, and so <clears throat> any of those uh, resources, uh, you know, and um, also uh, I, I wanted to let your uh, membership know, you know, feel free to ping us, you know, if there is things that are important to them that you think, you know, is important for us to keep an eye on, you know, it's always very helpful. Well, we are so lucky that you've been able to join us for this. It was important that we brought on somebody, um, you know, as a nonpartisan organization, we wanted to bring on someone like yourself who could kind of uh, help us figure out uh, the status of everything going on and speak to it in that third party perspective. So thanks for coming on, Aaron. We had a wonderful conversation and thanks for letting us turn the tables on you and asking some of the important questions. <laughs> Thank you so much. If our orthopedic surgeon listeners found this episode helpful, uh, please share it with your colleagues or rate the show in the podcast platform you use so that it is easier to find. Also get in touch with the AAOS advocacy team at DC at AAOS or visit our website at aaos.org slash advocacy slash get dash involved. Thanks again. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Bone Beat from the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. For more information on this topic and other AAOS efforts to shape the future of musculoskeletal care, please visit aaos.org slash advocacy. 